Are you going to Gen Con? Jeff Greiner, Rudy Basso, and I will be there. If you want to see us, we're going to be doing a live roundtable at 5 p.m. the Friday of Gen Con. That's 5 p.m. on Friday, August 5th in the Crown Plaza in Grand Central Ballroom D. We're going to be joined by fan favorite panelists Liz Tice and Sean Merwin. It's totally free, so go get your tickets now. After the panel, join us at Rock Bottom Brewery in downtown Indiana near the convention center at 7 p.m. for drinks, food, and games. Then, I've got a movie I wrote, directed, and produced with my partner Jay Lechko that's premiering at Gen Con. Nightbirds, a six-minute short film that's a superhero comedy, is part of the superhero block of the Gen Con Film Fest at 7 p.m. on August 6th. That's the Saturday of Gen Con. That's also totally free. So go check it out and support my movie Nightbirds. That's night with a K. Can't wait to meet you all in Indianapolis. Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intercasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes because it helps us a bunch. It takes 30 seconds and it is a huge, huge help to us. I read one five-star rating verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Here are the words of Troy E. Taylor. Troy's review is entitled, Refreshing, Informative, and Upbeat. Troy says, Roundtable host James Intercasso assembles the most insightful guests, many you won't hear anywhere except on this podcast. The often diverse list of guests includes adventure game industry insiders, enthusiastic hobbyists, and experienced DMs. Together, they share their love of Dungeons and Dragons, discussing the latest news about the hobby, and giving honest and entertaining opinions. Having guests with different experiences with D&D means different viewpoints and perspectives, which I love to hear. Above all, the discussion remains frank and respectful, always upbeat, and the guests mind their P's and Q's, so I can listen to the podcast anywhere and share it with anyone. Well, Troy E. Taylor, thank you so much for this lovely, heartfelt review. Really, really appreciate it. And we're glad that you love this podcast because we love our listeners and we love you, Troy E. Taylor, for leaving us a five-star review. I am running out of five-star reviews, people, so please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us so much. And get a shout-out on the show. Please use the affiliate links on the tomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. You just go to the tomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other episode and shop as you normally would. They're just Amazon and DMs Guild banners, real easy to find if you go to the tomeshow.com. Father's Day's coming up if you're buying your gift on Amazon, please use the affiliate link first before you go to Amazon. Today, we're talking about everyone's favorite mechanic to talk about, feats. Let's meet our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What's the feat with the silliest name from the 3-3.5 edition of D&D? Andrew Kane, welcome back to the roundtable. Great to be here. Thanks, James. Uh, I'm going to have to go with um, Gape of the Serpent. Um, mostly not just because of the name, but also it gives you the ability to swallow whole. 
Um, so, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> no, you certainly can't. <laughs> I hadn't come across that one in my 3.5 research. So nice. That's a great pick. That is awesome. Uh, Allison Rossi is back with us. Allison, welcome back. What do you think is the feat with the silliest name from the third edition days? So, uh, thanks for inviting me back. Um, I guess I would have to say that the, the two that I found that were really funny were animal control and animal defiance. Um, all I can think of is like a dog catcher or something when I read this or actual animal <laughs> control. Um, so I got a good laugh out of those. Um, I believe they're from the Masters of the Wild uh, supplement. So those are those are pretty good. Um, it's like turning animals like a cleric would turn undead. So just the idea of, of druids doing this is just it's it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really funny um, that people, you know, and that was one of the things, there were all kinds of feats that let you turn stuff eventually that came out. You know, you can turn this type of creature as turn undead, blah, blah, blah. So the fact that you could suddenly make all beasts fear you or control all beasts was yeah. really, really fun. Uh, and new to the roundtable is Jay Africa. Jay Welcome to the Roundtable. Why don't you tell the people a little uh, bit about your experience with D&D and what you're doing with it now? Howdy, everybody. Uh, James, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a big fan of the show. I'm glad to be here. Um, I started playing D&D back in 19... I'm, I'm tempted to say 1986 with the, uh, the Mensa Red Box. I was a wee child growing up in the Philippines, and one of my classmates had brought it to school, uh, which is... Um, you know, I, I don't know how he got away with bringing it to school, but thank goodness he did because, uh, you know, I started playing. I got I, I started playing first edition, second edition. Um, uh, it was a big part of my life uh, for a long time. And then I took a long break from it when I got into uh, when I got into college, uh, and I actually ended up taking a hiatus from the game for a little over a decade. And uh, I didn't come back until fourth edition. The fourth edition red box came out, and that drew me in. And uh, and so sadly, I didn't get to play uh, much of free 3.5 at all. Uh, but I started playing uh, fourth edition. I got into D and D Encounters, that version of organized play. Uh, and when the Adventures League came up, uh, I started playing fifth edition pretty much exclusively. Um, I was one of the first local coordinators in my region to uh, to get assigned to that position. And uh, last December, actually, when our U.S. Far West Regional Coordinator stepped down, I ended up taking his place. And so I've been a regional coordinator for the D&D Adventures League uh, since then. And I've uh, been having a fun time doing it, been attending a lot of conventions. Um, I just finished, uh, right, well, not finished, but uh, a few weeks ago, I finished writing um, one of Baldman Games Adventures League uh, adventures, and that's premiering in Origins. Uh, and I'm looking forward to designing more. That's pretty much what I've been doing with uh, D&D in 5th edition. Well, and I have to say, so I'm designing uh, an adventure for Baldman Games for Gen Con. Uh, and the template they sent me was based on your, uh, or it actually just was your adventure. They sent me a word oh, no way. with your adventure in it. Yeah, and it was awesome. So if you're going to Origins, definitely check out that adventure. Uh, what's it? It's called uh, Arrival, right? Yes, that's right. It's a Hill 1-1 Arrival, and it is the first adventure in the Hillspar trilogy. Yeah, yeah. So check that out. It's really fun. There's a really fun mechanic in there, too, that helps you get story awards and stuff. So um, people should definitely check that out. So, uh, yeah, and uh, and silly, silly feats, right? Feats are pretty silly, you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, we're talking about the new Unearthed Archive 
Arcana article. I feel like it bears repeating, as we say every time we talk about Unearthed Arcana articles, these are not yet official D&D rules. They're looking for feedback, so go check these out. There will probably be a survey in about a month or so where you can give feedback on these feats that Mike Merle's put out. Um, this was a really great article, I thought, because he sort of broke down not just, hey, here are some feats, but breaking down what goes into creating a feat for 5th edition and how they think about it and how making feats has kind of changed. You know, feats now have to be as good as taking an ability boost, you know, plus 2 to an ability score or plus 1 to two different ability scores. So feats are really a whole kit that make you great at something, whereas in the third days it was like... You know, you needed three or four feats to become the ultimate archer. Now you can kind of take one and you're you're really good at archery, you know. Um, so, and you don't even need to take them at all. They're an optional part of the fifth edition rules because they are a little divisive. Sean and Chris on the Down With D&D podcast uh, got into this and Sean gave a great uh, evaluation of why he doesn't like feats. Uh, and I think we're going to get into that more. I do like feats. I think they're pretty cool. I think they're a great way to customize characters, especially 5th edition feats. But before we get into the feats as a whole in this article, I want to talk to you guys about, like, how do you feel about feats in general? When you're running a game, do you allow them? Uh, are, are you a fan of them? Do you think it's, like, too much mechanic, not enough story, that sort of thing? And uh, why don't we start with you, Allison? What do you think about feats? So in in 3.5, when I was mainly playing just that, uh, I loved feats, but at the same time, I hated them because, as as you mentioned, you know, you had to plan ahead what feats you were taking because you can't take this ultimate archer feat, whatever, without having three before that. And it kind of just drove me insane having to sit there and really plan out every single little nuance and making my character up to, you know, the 15th level when my character might die at level three. You know, I, I don't know. And I just spent an hour planning out the feats alone. <laughs> So in old editions, not that huge on it. In 5e, I definitely allowed it at my table. Um, I don't think any of my players have actually taken a feat, though. Um, most of the time, since with Adventures League, you do the stat array. Um, they haven't really been worrying about that. They've been like, you know, I want a plus two to whatever, you know, skill to, to be better at things. Um, and they, they tend to forego the feats. But these new ones uh, that have potential to be put into a book, I, I like quite a bit of them. Okay, so so we hear Allison. She's a fan of the 5th edition feat. Uh, what about you, Andrew Kane? How do you feel about feats in 5th edition? Uh, I feel okay about feats because each of my characters in the two games I'm in, I've used one kind of out of convenience for what I wanted to do. With a character, I do like um, their flexibility in the sense of, you know, when I decided that, you know, my warlock was going to be more ranged and spell sniper was going to be kind of the tool that would be helpful to me. Um, it was a great resource to have, but I have to admit with the way they're set up, like I rarely go into a character thinking about whether or not I'm going to use a feed or not, whereas uh, probably in other editions, I was more thoughtful about it. Nice. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I think, you know, the ability score increase, depending on what sort of class you're playing, you know, you might want more of those. I know, you know, people often say, like, paladins need all the ability score increases they can get because they're, you know, they're fighting, so they need con and strength. And then they also need charisma for spellcasting, all that kind of stuff. So that definitely goes into it, too. Uh, Jay, what do you think about feats overall? I think the feats for 5th edition are fantastic. I love them. I uh, appreciate 
I think there have been more opportunities for players nowadays to take fifth edition feats and allow them to influence the character more than, say, previous editions. Uh, again, mainly because uh, for fourth edition, it sounds very similar to third edition, but um, feats built one upon another, and so you would have to take this chain, you would have to sort of develop it over uh, a number of levels. And they were, they they each usually had just one simple mechanical effect, unlike the feats for fifth edition now, which have multiple effects that really can help you define how your character plays. And so I'm a big fan. I, I love um, I love how evocative they are. So instead of say getting you know improved ability X, you get uh, Tavern Brawler, which allows you to add a little bit of a background to your character as well, in addition to the the ones that are built into your actual background and your class and your race. Um, you have things like Dungeon Delver, um, you know, which again is more descriptive, more evocative than you know mechanical effect improvement, you know, at level whatever. Uh, and so that said, uh, you know, again, I, I appreciate them. I love them. Uh, in the Adventures League, they are legal for use, and so I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of players who do use them. Um, I, I do feel like they are probably one of the most game-breaking <laughs> aspects. <laughs> and so when you when you have a power gamer who really just knows how to crunch abilities and crunch effects, once they start piling the feats onto their character. Oh boy, the encounter is you really need to get creative sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. And I think that was one of the things, I'm glad you brought up fourth, because fourth had the same, uh, maybe even more so than third, right? The same sort of feat issue, because you could take a feat, no matter what class you were in fourth, you got a feat every other level. Um, yep. And and there were, I mean, I, in that character builder, what, there were like 7,000 by the end there, of fourth There edition? are a lot. Yeah, yeah, I can't even, I could not even, and I mean, I, I strictly went by the physical copies I have. That's PHB 1, 2, and 3, uh, and a couple of the power, uh, the power, you know, martial power, um, divine power, mm-hmm. a couple of those books. And that's that's just scratching the surface of the amount of feats that they ended up coming up with. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And that, you know, so it's one of those things I think sometimes it makes people wary when they see new feats are coming mm-hmm. out because they're game breaking, because you could take a feat sometimes meant for, you know, a wizard or a druid, but then when you apply it to a bard or a fighter, all of a sudden, you know, the, it breaks the game because anybody can pretty much take any feat. You know, the prerequisites are low or non-existent for a lot of them. Uh, I think that really makes people wary when they see like, hey, Wizards is thinking about putting out more feats. It, it, some people are like, oh no, the bloat has started and soon we're going to see an announcement that 6th edition is coming out because, you know, we, we blew it up too much and the bubble burst or that kind of thing. So it is, um, you know, I think it is, people have a right to, to sort of be wary. One of the things I want to talk about with this first group of feats is a feat tax. Um, so, you know, there were so many little feats in third and fourth, uh, that some feats were so necessary, they were kind of considered, you have to take them, you have to use your feet slots to, to take these feats, because they're so, you know, essential. Um, one of them, uh, weapon focus gave you a plus one, right, in, in third edition, and there was a similar feat. I think they might have flip-flopped, right? It was weapon specialization in fourth or something like that. But anyway, there was a similar feat in fourth where you picked a weapon or a group of weapons and you got plus one with that and was like, you kind of got to take that. You know, you, it's so good to have a plus one static bonus all the time. It's it's a great thing. Having a plus one static bonus in fifth edition with bounded accuracy, which is, you know, it never 
really gets harder to hit something, you just get better at it, uh, makes me even more wary. This first group of feats, they're all sort of designed off the polearm master feat. You know, you, you pick a group of weapons, uh, for instance, you know, blades or... Uh, spears or flails and you get some bonuses with them one of the bonuses you get with all of them is you get a plus one bonus to attack rolls when you're using that type of weapon if you're using a spear or a blade or a flail or an axe or whatever um and then you get some other things that sort of pertain to the use of that weapon uh kind of uh, reading it it also it almost makes it look like they did some research as to like how you might actually use that blade or that spear or a flail within battle um so you know it's it's pretty those abilities are pretty cool i'm not digging the plus one because i feel like it's going to make people think like i have to take this feat now if i'm going to use a spear because i need to get that plus one static bonus all the time and it makes it feel like maybe feet taxes are back a little bit uh, but i'm interested to hear what you guys think about these weapon mastery feats uh and why don't we start with you jay what do you think about the weapon mastery feats Overall, I like them. They add a lot of great flavor to the game. Um, I, I, I'm honestly not too bothered by the plus one, because considering you're replacing your ability score increase with this, it actually makes it even more circumstantial. So you're not, you know, if, if rather than, say, taking that, um, rather than taking uh, an increase in strength, which applies to, you know, uh, uh, your melee attacks plus um, uh, your athletic skill, uh, various other checks, your saving throws, uh, you are basically refining your character as a combat character. And so there are a lot of opportunities for the DM to kind of um, challenge you in other ways outside of combat, that way that you might not necessarily feel uh, the effects of the feat for. That said, though, I, I, I like that this also gives players the opportunity to role-play their characters with these outside of combat. And, you know, whether the feats come into play that way or not like you know if, if the character says um well i'm an expert with you know i'm fell handed and so i've got this uh, this expertise with uh, with hammers and axes you know maybe i can use this hammer to do x to this machine that 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 we're encountering you know um whether the dm will allow that or not that's 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 obviously up to their discretion at their table but i would like to think that um that having these traits would encourage players to go beyond combat as far as what the feet you know grants and start incorporating the fact that you know oh maybe they're a blacksmith and that's why they're fell handed um maybe uh maybe um uh you know they're they're part of the town militia or something like that and and spears are a trademark weapon so that's why they took that uh that uh, that spear mastery I, my 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 concern is that this starts to get into that granularity and you start getting into okay now you know, it's it does it does feel like it's returning towards towards like fourth edition, where okay, you've got this very very specific thing about your character that this feat is going to affect the use of this particular weapon. And in moderation, I'm okay with that, uh, especially since again you're limiting your character somewhat to a combat ability versus something that could benefit you all, you know, inside outside of combat, you know, in the other pillars of, of the game. But, you know, we, sh we shall see. We'll see what, what the, the crowd has to say about this. Uh, I like them. Uh, I, I think, obviously, a player can, can opt to use them or not. A DM can opt to uh, have them work differently in, in the game or not. Um, there's there's a, a limited amount of that in the Adventurers League. But, you know, at, at home games and such, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind trying these out and seeing how they played out. 
Yeah, yeah, and I am in agreement with you. Like, if this is the beginning of a lot of feats, that makes me very uncomfortable. But if these are the kind of, like, the only weapon mastery feats we see, I'd be okay with that. You know, I, I think it would be okay to introduce a few more feats into the game a little bit at a time, a, a trickle like this, you know, and it, and it does provide, like you said, it provides some great story reasoning, like uh, or, or some great story inspiration, rather, kind of like feats in the player's handbook, right? Like, there are there are feats there that when you, just their name alone, like you said, Dungeon Delver, makes you think like, oh, okay, this guy has a history of doing this, and this guy, he's, he's really, he's better than the average person, and here's why. I'm coming up with that reason. So I do like that. Um, and you, you are correct. I have definitely heard that argument about plus one. Like, you are giving up... Uh, uh, what could be a bonus to strength, which gives you, you know, attack and damage and ability score and saving throw and stuff like that. Um, so it does make sense to to have something maybe a little more powerful there and a little more static. And maybe it's not as game breaking, right? Um, the uh, the only thing would be like if you've already got twenty strength, this is a great way to increase that. But you do have to at, at that point maybe plus one isn't as big a deal because people have magic swords and all that good stuff, you know. So. Uh, I do I do think that's a good point. Allison, how are you feeling about weapon mastery feats? So I guess how I might see the feats is slightly different than other people because a lot of times when I take feats or or anything else for my character, I try and think of how it fits into their background, why I would take it. Um, for example, you know, seeing uh, the Warhammer Master or the or Fellhanded, you know, I'm like, man, that would be actually great and might make me want to play a dwarf for once, just because I feel like it kind of, you know, fits in with their background. So I would take it for that. But I can see other people sitting there calculating, okay, how much more damage does this make me do overall? Because, well, when I have extra attacks later on, it does this and this and this. Um, so I like that. I like how you worded it, actually. If this is kind of, uh, these are going to be a few feats that we add in, and it's not going to be like 7,000 feats later on, I'm all for feats. But once it starts getting out of control and out of hand where there's, you know, far too many feats and it gets overwhelming for players and the DM to, to account for, then I'd get a little bit worried about, you know, where is this addition going? Is it going to be another 3.5 where you literally need a directory of feats? Um, I, I didn't really like that. That was one of the main things that was a drawback for me. Um, but so far, I like where these are going. I can see them adding a lot of flavor to characters. And, uh, you know, for example, with Fellhanded, um, you know, the, the different bonuses that come with rolling with advantage or disadvantage are nifty. Um, and it still can make you feel powerful, even if you end up rolling with, with disadvantage and, you know, do some damage there. I... <sighs> I think it also does encourage using certain weapons that are, I guess, off the beaten path. Um, the flail mastery and the spear mastery. I don't really think I've ever seen anyone seriously use either of those as their main weapon. Um, I mean, I had a character once where I used spears um, just because I ended up picking up a bunch of them off of a, you know, a dead enemy. Um, so I think that would be be fun as well um, to encourage people to use something besides, you know, a long sword or, you know, a, a long bow. Um, so overall, I like where they're going and I can't wait to see how they kind of finish them off and, you know, if they make it into a, a future supplement book. 
So, so yeah, mixed mix feelings about where we're going with feats, uh, but only, you know, time will tell us where we go with them. I liked establishing kind of at the beginning. We all do kind of like 5th edition feats to begin with, so I think that makes us good sort of critics. Uh, you know, if you hate feats overall, I think it can be hard to step back and say, like, well, these feats are better, you know, or worse or, or whatever, unless you're Sean Merwin, because Sean Merwin has tons and tons of years designing games and stuff. So, you know, he knows and, and certainly people can be objective, but I do think it, it can make it harder. Uh, but if you really care about feats and you like them, you want them to be good, right? Um, yeah, so I think my players would actually use feats with these because right now I don't think any of them are, but I can see some of them definitely taking some of the feats in this Unearthed Arcana if they had the chance to. Andrew, what about you? Uh, are you a fan of uh, of these feats that are in this article, these weapon mastery feats? Uh, if I'm being honest, I kind of am, have mixed feelings uh, for several reasons. One is um, you kind of mentioned at the beginning that particularly these weapon mastery ones, if you looked at the original feats in the player's handbook, it kind of they look to be mirrored a little bit like the polearm master. Um, and my first problem is that Polar Master does not grant a plus one to those particular weapons. So I like the additional things. Like I think the Blade Mastery um, kind of taking a parry stance that adds plus one to your AC if you're able to do that, which makes sense because a sword, just as much as an offensive weapon, can be a defensive weapon. And kind of evaluating the weapon you have in your hand and adding these different features in each character and how they play them, I think that's really neat. But I don't like the idea that with the plus one added in now for some of them um, and these weapon groupings, suddenly you're almost prioritizing certain weapons over others. Um, so although you might be encouraging those, their use, you kind of at the end of the day can be like, okay, if you're interested in doing that, how can I max out my power with this one weapon as opposed to kind of, you know, oh, it would be interesting to go in this direction you know i often like to occasionally go with a non-traditional uh weapon in my approach mm -hmm. and so when there isn't you know kind of when you're looking at these things and there isn't much support for that you might think to yourself well i don't want to do that if i can't really go anywhere with it um so i i think there's some really cool stuff in there but then i do think it starts to you know when you have each weapon grouping broken out like that it starts to get a little unwieldy um as opposed to maybe, I don't know, having one overarching weapon mastery and you get to choose a weapon and like two features that you can use or something like that. Well, it sounds like we're all kind of of the same mind. Like, you know, as long as we're not going in feet crazy, which I think Wizards has shown, you know, it's taken them two years to even suggest putting out some feats. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're going to be in a, a good spot with this. And it sounds like they are already listening to people's feedback about um, what's coming out. You know, I've seen like Merle's already responding to questions and reminding people Unearthed Arcana is playtest material and people should treat it as such. This isn't, we're definitely doing this. We're definitely doing that. Remember the first Unearthed Arcana we saw was about Eberron and we haven't heard a peep about Eberron since. So, um, you know, that just goes to, to show that this is playtest material. They're getting feedback and stuff. And some we'll see and publish. Some we may never hear from again. So um, it'll, be, it'll be really cool to see how these weapon mastery feats develop. I want to talk about the other set of feats in this article, which is, of course, the 
the tool feats. Um, so tool feats give you proficiency with a tool such as, you know, thieves tools or a disguise kit. And then if you've already got proficiency, they make you even better at using that thing. Um, so that's kind of their across the board bonus. They also seem to give one ability score uh, a plus one increase. Uh, and then you also gain kind of some, uh, depending on the tool, some interesting little fun mechanical bits that you can use with them. Uh, and these are really fun. Master of Disguise, Burger. Gourmand, Alchemists are, are these four feats that they've shown to us. Um, so I want to know, what did you think of these feats? I felt like even more so than the Weapon Master feats, these had a lot of built-in story behind them, and they were really, really fun uh, to, to sort of talk about and to see like, oh, okay, this is how they've broken this down and given it a bit more of a mechanical benefit, so it's not just flavor. You're not just a great cook. It actually means something mechanically that you are a gourmand. Uh, and why don't we start with you, Andrew Kane? What did you think of the tool feats? Uh, I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, kind of just reiterating what you just said, I like that there is both a built-in kind of anytime you can increase an ability score uh, bonus there, right? And then, but then there's some some neat ways of applying them. Like I never would have thought of the gourmand thing as a way to kind of identify whether or not food has been poisoned or something like that. I think that's a really neat, uh, neat feature. So it's not just about kind of maxing out, you know, an ability or something like that. It's kind of applying these cool game techniques. And if you're looking at it early on, you know, maybe your character used to be, you know, the food taster for somebody before they went out adventuring their own or whatever. It could be some fun and interesting story uh, tools to build in as well. So I like that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the possibility of a food taster. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, when feats can inspire ideas like that, I think that they're, they're really at the top of their game story-wise, which is awesome. Uh, Jay, what did you think about these tool feats? I like them. I'm a big fan. Um, I again, I I really appreciated how evocative their names are. Uh, agreeing with uh, with you, Andrew, about how they have a lot of potential to add to a character, and I think it really shows Wizards' dedication to making sure that everything is about story, or that a lot of it is about story. Um, I think uh, I think um, it was a great move for the designers, the fifth edition's designers, to uh, uh, give toolkits more potency. Because again, I'm looking at a lot of those toolkits. Okay, obviously everybody's you know everybody wants to be able to use uh, thieves' tools. Uh, healer's kit is pretty useful, um, but you know beyond those, okay, what am I exactly going to do with a brewing kit? What am I going to do with uh, yeah with with cooking tools that sort of thing? And these make uh, I think these will give players uh, incentive to choose those unusual tools to make more unusual choices. Yeah. Not just because their character calls for it, but now because they can actually there there's there's more there's more that they can capitalize on during the game. Totally right. You know, I for the first time had somebody make a proficiency check with a chess set at a game last week, and uh, the players were like, "Is that even a? You can be proficient in a chess set? I didn't. What is that?" Uh, so you know, I think it's true. Like these tools and and gaming sets and and whatever that your characters can be proficient in, um, it does help to make them matter. And you can even tell that wizards know some of them matter more than others because the 
thieves tool one, you just get a proficiency with thieves tools or you double your sort of proficiency bonus with them and you get that increase to dex and that's it, right? You don't get anything else. Whereas the other ones, you get some more mechanics because your cook's utensils don't come into play that often. And if they do, it's not really in a mechanical situation. It's in a, hey, look, I'm impressing the innkeeper because I can cook as well as they can or that kind of thing. Um, so it is it is cool to see them sort of giving a nod to the disguise kit and to, you know, the, the cook's utensils and the alchemist kit to make them a little bit more useful in game mechanics, which is awesome. So uh, I, I really love the disguise kit one. I keep thinking about heists that you could pull. Um, <laughs> it, it feels so Mission Impossible to me. Uh, Allison, what about you? What did you think of tool feats? So when I first read the Gourmand uh, tool feat, I, all I could think of was a player that I used to have at my table who has since moved. Um, he played Gronchbag the Bard, and he focused most of the adventure of Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat on every single time they'd go to a different city. He would actually try and collect spices or, or herbs in the in each place he went to and he would focus like whenever there was anything that required uh, eating and the focus was kind of around that he would try and make a meal based on that so I would have him roll performance checks to see you know how well he uh, cooked with flourish or how well he prepared it you know how good the food was and then you know the entertainment of playing his instrument afterwards um, so all I can think of is him whenever I, I read about that tool feat. And I think it would have been perfect. And I like I think he totally would have taken that feat. Um, in terms of Master of Disguise, I also really like that one just because uh, I had a, a cleric, a tiefling cleric, a while ago. And I, t I took the charlatan background. So having Master of Disguise to kind of go along with that would have been great because I, you know, would frequently pretend I was a guard for XYZ or, you know, I was there escorting someone else. Um, so that would be useful for all different types. Um, Alchemist is also very interesting, especially um, identifying potions. That can be really helpful doing that on the fly. You know, this potion that we have, would this be useful right now in our, our fight that we're about to go into? I don't have the time to sit down and identify it um, or have the spell to do it. So I think those are all useful. Burglar, it, it could use some more interesting uh, background to it. It's not super exciting right now, but uh, I think it could go somewhere else to make it cooler um, and more flavorful. So I see these tool feats as, as a great way to add flavor to your character and further develop your, your background that you have for them. Totally, totally. So it sounds like we're in agreement. We, we pretty much feel positive about these tool feats overall. It sounds like everybody's feeling pretty positive about the, uh, the weapon feats as well. Uh, what was the name of that bard again, Allison? Gronchbag? Gronchbag was the name that he chose uh, for his bard. <laughs> nice, nice. I yes. like that. Uh, that's a hilarious name. People uh, who are out there, we definitely want to know what you think about the Unearthed Arcana feats. Go check them out and then hit us up over at facebook.com slash the tome show or leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at the tome show.com well i think that is going to do it for this episode of the tome show uh, but before we go let's find out where people can find you so andrew kane where can people find you on the internet uh, you can find me on twitter at cavalier kane that's k-a-v-a-l-i-e-r-k-a-n-e Awesome, awesome. And Allison Rossi, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at charm underscore underscore person. 
And that's uh, the main place you'll see me nowadays, but almost all my feed right now is uh, dedicated to Overwatch. So if you play that on PC, you know, shout out to that. Nice, nice. So, and that's a, a there's another D and D connection there, right? Isn't Matt Mercer is the voice of a cowboy or something? He you know, is uh, the character McCree. Uh, there's a you'll you'll see memes everywhere right now about uh, it being high noon. So if you if you play, you know, Matt Matt Mercer did the voice for for McCree. And Jay Africa Roundtable newbie, who I hope will become a Roundtable veteran and join us again. <laughs> Where can people find you? Oh, well, first of all, I would love to join again. Uh, it's been fantastic discussing feats with y'all. Uh, I can be found tweeting uh, on Twitter under uh, US Far West, at US Far West. I do a lot of my D&D tweets there. I do personal tweets at J Africa. So that's just J-A-Y and then Africa like the continent. Um, I will do more or less like Adventurers League D&D tweets under my personal J Africa handle. And so feel free to follow me on either. Uh, and I also tweet frequently, um, oh, not tweet, but I post on the um, U.S. Far West D&D Adventures League Facebook group. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can give you a link to that, James, if, anybody's, if anybody out there is interested in joining that group. Totally, totally. And we will post that and everybody's contact information that they have shared uh, over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And before we go, each week we highlight a new product in our DMs Guild pick of the episode. This week's highlighted DMs Guild product comes from Joshua Rainek. It's called Taroka Deck Unleashed. I love this product because I am always looking for a way to get the most out of my Taroka deck, which is lovely. I bought it. I love using the art and everything, but I want to use it for more than one reading every time I decide to play a Ravenloft adventure. And Joshua has made that possible with this $1 product. The product provides game masters and players with the following options for thrilling play with the Taroka deck. New rules to expand the use of the Taroka deck into your game. An alternative to the inspiration system using Taroka cards and rules for how to implement despair and morale using Taroka cards. Go ahead, buy it. Joshua said he's going to update it. He's looking for feedback on all these new systems. Definitely check it out. There is a direct link to Taroka Deck Unleashed by Joshua Rainek over in the show notes for this episode at thetomeshow.com. Thanks to my panelists, Andrew Kane, Allison Rossi, and Jay Africa. All right, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons world that I'm building over at World Builder Blog. Dot me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games there. I'm talking monsters, new spells, new magic items, all kinds of great stuff. Rules modules. Plus, you can find links to my DMs Guild products there. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. And special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.